0: When the church cannot be the strong leader, you can't expect people just to automatically follow after the church falters. If the church falters, everyone falters with her.
1: Hey, my friends. You know, the successors of the apostles today uh, rarely speak. Sometimes we've heard that prophecy that talks about the one who should speak was silent. Well, um, here at the Catholic Identity Conference, is actually a bishop, actually one of the successors of the Apostles, um, and this is core bishop Anthony Spinoza, who's with us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, and he's at the conference here, and a core bishop is one who, I guess, our equivalent in the Roman Rite would be a an auxiliary bishop, but He is a core bishop for the Maronite, right? And um, I want you to stay tuned to this episode to hear Bishop Anthony Spinoza. of 2022 was 25 years these one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at StJosephsPartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time may god bless you bishops Spinoza, welcome to the program thank you good to be with thank
0: you. you thank you very much
1: so let's begin if we always as we always do with the sign of the cross if you wouldn't mind leading us please in the
0: name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost
1: amen amen so here you are at the Catholic Identity Conference. For a lot of people, that's controversial. Um, you've also accepted my offer to come on the program, which is awesome. And, but in this day and age, it's kind of funny because, you know, 10 years ago, uh, LifeSite was regarded as you know, very much one with the Vatican. We were well known. We were asked in 2013 to go <laughs> and do an official event with the Vatican, by the Vatican. Things have changed in the last 10 years. The Catholic Identity Conference is similarly regarded by some as somehow strange and and a lot would avoid it. You haven't chosen to do so. Why is that? And what about your confers? Um, Because many of them, while still adhering to believing in the traditional faith, are nevertheless anxious about coming to something like this.
0: Well, I think many of them just do not understand what the conference is about and uh, the title is fine catholic identity no one would question that but it's always easy to get a reputation that's not flattering and uh, i think that laity and clergy alike hierarchy just don't know what it's about and they may think that it is a very far right wing uh organization and approach to things and uh, whether far right wing or far left wing is not a good thing in either situation. So I think many times it's a lack of, of knowledge and understanding as to what the conference is about.
1: And what do you appreciate about the conference and about tradition? Because uh, you know this conference is largely about the traditional faith, upholding the faith, as Michael Matt always says, uniting the clans.
0: Well, uniting the clans is important because it doesn't refer just to the Latin Rite. Uh, It includes the Eastern churches as well. And the challenges that the Latin Rite faces is very much the same as the Eastern churches. How do we bring people to the church? How do we bring them to God? How do we help them get into the kingdom of heaven? And... um, so, I, I mean, that, that's a big challenge in itself. And uh, for me, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is it really energizes me uh, because I see people who are very appreciative of the faith that they have. And uh, there's confusion amongst them. Uh, it's not always their fault. And they're looking for answers. They're looking for stability. Uh, They want to be good Catholic people. Uh, And sometimes they feel marginalized. And uh, I come across this all the time. And it's not just the laity, but the clergy as well. And there are days when I just say, I really don't want to do this. Uh, And moments when you just don't have the energy or the interest to continue sometimes in ministry, then you come to a conference like this, and the laity, God bless them, are the ones who really energize us. I mean, they're complimentary, they're appreciative, and that's what helps me, especially, go back to the shrine, to the basilic, and say, I'm gonna do this.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it's really beautiful. To have the success of the Apostles be there for you when you're struggling in a time of great confusion is, is very reassuring for the people. I know why they're so grateful for your presence here. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. The Those who have embraced tradition are kind of a persecuted lot in our church today, which is sad to say. But it is... Um, it's why there's such gratitude. Uh, walking through the hall, it's hard to get through them with you because you're stopped every five seconds by people who want, and sincerely want, to both thank you for being here, but also they want your blessing. They want, it's, it's become sad to say it's almost like a rare commodity now to have one of the successors, the apostles, here. It's um, why we're very gra- grateful. I was very grateful for your talk and for you, just your presence here. It's, it's a very powerful thing. The church is in confusion a a lot of confusion and a lot of that surrounds right now uh pope francis Um, it's been it's been a decade or slightly longer now and it is hard for the faithful who are uh, try to embrace tradition all the traditional beliefs to live in this
0: time well the holy father in many ways is no different than any other leader uh And when we look to a leader, we look for clarity, and we look for strength, and we look for direction, and we look for something that is fatherly. Um, We want our leaders to act as a parent. And uh, I think sometimes we don't see this this side of Pope Francis. We were accustomed for so many years with John Paul II. Uh, Whether you agreed with him or not, uh... he was loved Uh, people embraced him uh... and pope benedict the sixteenth was a different personality he was quiet he was academic he was scholarly uh, but yet having been close to him as we are uh, there was a gentleness about him and sometimes i think people don't quite see that with pope francis and I don't mean to criticize because whenever I have um, a criticism or something against the Holy Father, I feel very guilty about it because we were raised to love the Holy Father. And uh, so to have these kind of feelings sometimes is, it makes us feel badly. But sometimes we hear him say things that are confusing and they're contradictory. And honestly, sometimes they don't sound very fatherly. And that's what bothers me. Uh, The comment that I made during my talk about the uh, being called indirectissimo. I mean, parents don't do that to their children. Uh, And I'm sure he didn't mean it in that way, but many people were hurt by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is what bothers people. There's ambiguity. There's... Lack of clarity. Uh, there's not so much teaching now as much as be involved with other things, be concerned with other things, which are valid points, uh, whether it's climate change or social issues or whatever it is. We have to be involved in all of that. But we also need to know the teachings of the church. I always tell people you cannot learn geometry and algebra and trigonometry until you learn basic arithmetic. And uh, I think this is what causes the confusion now. We hear of how we should know all these other things when we don't really know the basics. That causes, I think, a great deal of confusion.
1: One of the most confusing figures in the church in America today is Father James Martin. He's um, very well known, but he seems to push against the very teaching that, you know, especially John Paul II tried to emphasize the need for. And in this day and age where that particular question has become the most confusing thing seemingly on earth, and the church herself in in Germany, I'm sure you must have seen or heard about or, or know about the vote there, The vote of the bishops on the issue of blessing of same-sex marriage was 38 in favor, 8 opposed, 11 abstentions. This is stunning for Catholics who we're involved in in LifeSite a lot with that question because it's one of the things, our main topics of coverage, life, faith, family, and freedom. And so those issues for us have been sort of core issues going all the way back to our founding. This is a time of grave scandal and confusion, it's very often those people who were converts from the LGBT lifestyle that are most hurt by what's going on in the church today.
0: Well, I think we just have to go back into biblical history uh, a bit. Obviously, there's always been a standard from the very, very beginning from Genesis God created the human race he created them equal but he created the male male and female so it's set from the very beginning uh, and I don't see how we can change any of that as sympathetic or empathetic as anyone would like to be you cannot change what goes back to the very beginning of creation uh, and the church and society has had to deal with these problems forever and ever now it's out in the open more Uh, but it doesn't mean that you reject people and i I, I think pope benedict when he was still cardinal uh, really kind of defined that well that no one is being rejected but here are the rules and the rules are the same for everyone Uh, and uh, it's a big challenge a great challenge how do you minister how do you help but you have to help authentically when you compromise the faith of the church the beliefs of the church or the morals of the church or whatever it might be you are not helping the individual Uh, actually you're doing them great harm Uh, it doesn't mean the problem will go away we just have to work a little bit harder as to how are we going to bring uh, individuals like this closer to God. It is an enormous challenge. And what is even more upsetting is that now in all of society, we see and hear of such absurdities, things that a few years ago you wouldn't even think of. So it's now very blatant very in your face don't even tell me what to do or how to be Uh, but the church has the obligation to do that uh, because the church has to speak the truth and it has to be done with kindness and charity uh, and all you know Christian love obviously but you cannot compromise the truth and this is where we're tripping up we're trying to help in any way possible, but we're also compromising the truth.
1: One of the letters that, I think it was John Paul II, but it was written by Benedict, or the office of the CDF, was the letter to the Bishops of the Catholic Church on homosexual persons from 1986. In that document, the then-later Holy Father, and John Paul signed off on it anyway, talked about how any authentic pastoral programs, about the pastoral care of homosexual persons, he talked about how any pastoral program for uh, homosexual persons has to spell out the, basically, the, the, the sin of homosexuality acts, that the acts are uh, incompatible with truth or, or that they're sinful. And he said, not only, he said, silence about it, so in addition to, in not only can you not uh, go against it, but he said even silence about it, it keeps, if, uh, it harms, basically saying it harms people, but it keeps from them the care that they deserve. Silence about it is something that has gone on for a long time. I don't know when the last time most people in America, let alone Europe, would have heard a homily ever even touching on the, the um, you know, man-woman marriage or anything like that?
0: Well, the problem we have now is that you can be charged with hate speech. And uh, a few years ago that didn't really exist, uh, but uh, at least the term didn't. Uh, so I think many times priests are very careful about doing that in a public forum uh... like in a homily or something like that at mass because right away inevitably someone is going to call you some kind of a bigot or whatever they're going to call you and accuse you of uh... hate speech And as we heard you know this weekend with mark Hauk and all of that how something relatively insignificant can be a huge problem and i think many times are afraid of that, so they they will address it privately and quietly. To do it in a public manner, you really have to know what you're doing, and most priests are kind of afraid to do that, and they feel that they don't have really the ability to do, uh, to address it properly.
1: It is uh, it is a very very difficult issue indeed. Um, <laughs> What do you make of St. Paul's charge to Timothy? It was actually in the Gospel reading, I believe, this weekend, uh, about speaking the truth in season and out of season. Where do you think we are in the world on that? Also in the Gospels, uh, not this week, but but um, Christ mentions, when I return, will I find faith? In a lot of the talks we heard here, we heard stunning accounts like just from Uh, Father uh, Christopher, who is here from England, Father Christopher Robey, I think his last name is, just talking about the stunning loss of faith, just unreal, the drop-off rate. Um, Love to hear your take on that,
0: particularly about St. Paul's charge of St. Timothy. Well, I'm guilty, uh, like many others, uh, that many times when I give a Sunday sermon, I try to be a little non-controversial, you know, and I always try to use the gospel passage. But if I'm trying to drive home a point as St. Paul was doing, uh, I I watch my words a little bit. Uh, Now, the people who come to the shrine, to the basilica, are all very traditionally minded, so most of them wouldn't have a problem with it. But you still have to be a, a, a little bit careful Uh, I don't consider myself a great orator. So some can do it and do it well. I don't seem to have that confidence to do it. Uh, But this is all of society right now. Whether it's the church or civil society, people are just not speaking the way they should. Uh, There is such... uh, confusion of words and manipulation of meanings and this happens and you cannot do that in scripture Uh, once you start manipulating words uh, you've got a problem and uh, someone said to me oh you're using this uh, this translation in your lectionary I said well yeah and uh, they said well this is an old translation I says It's only a few years old. Yeah, but that's old. And these words have to change. Eh, We're not changing words because as soon as you do that, you change meanings. And I I think this is part of the problem in that there is such a fluidity of meaning now that you can take one word and it could mean something totally different to another person. We've had this discussion in our Maronite uh, uh, circles uh, regarding the liturgy, a couple of words were changed here and there, and uh, some of us thought that one word that had been changed completely changed the meaning. Mm. And some agreed and some did not agree. And I think that's what we have today, you know. Uh, when you say yes, mean yes, when you say no, mean no, and everything else is from the evil one. And this is all over the place now. We see it in politics, we see it in schools, we see it in churches. We do not know how to speak precisely and according to proper meaning.
1: One of the biggest things today that is really going on, not only among the laity, but among the clergy, even the good clergy, is division. It's a a horrific thing to see as was predicted in by Our Lady of Akita, I really, would, oh, can only seem to me anyway, like the fulfillment of that prophecy, you know, bishops against bishops, cardinals against cardinals. Um, division is a horrible thing, it's, it's from the devil, and we saw it more so probably with COVID than just about anything ever on earth. Um, I'd just like to know from your own either community or, or Know, how, how things went in the Maronite right with regard to COVID, because it just, just divided families, uh, even, even the best of Catholics.
0: Well, we have not recovered from that, and I'm not sure if we will in the near future. When all of this began, uh, there was hesitation on the part of our bishop to to close churches, but then suddenly everyone else was doing it. So, They were told to close or to make changes as best they could and that sort of thing. And I I told my bishop very kindly, um, I said, I am not closing the shrine. I cannot close the shrine. Uh, I said, I will limit the number of liturgies, and I will certainly limit the number of people. And the Basilica Church is large enough so that we can space people, and we will do all the protocols that they asked but I will not close the church and uh, he said okay Mm -hmm. and um, so I really only had one liturgy on Sunday Uh, the the weekday liturgies I had to reserve that just for our nuns next door because they had uh, uh, an adult daycare center and uh, assisted living and we couldn't put those elderly in any kind of jeopardy. It was, it was very delicate. But when Holy Week came about we had a little controversy uh, because I just said we are having Holy Week like every other week and uh, every other year rather and we did and there were less people and those who were comfortable came and those who were not did not come. It was very different it, it really was, and uh, it, it just placed a pall over the joy of Easter. Uh, but we did the best that we could, but I, I said, no, it, uh, we, we just have to do it. Now, I know some of our priests have, have just come out and told our bishop, if this comes up again, do not even consider closing the churches. Uh, I know in our East Coast diocese one pastor was called by one of the local i don't know if it was an attorney general or somebody in the area some civil official who told him you must close your church the pastor says oh no i don't Uh, well you must or we're going to do whatever we're going to do and i give the bishop of the other diocese credit who called this man and says you have no right according to law to close our church We will do what we have to do, but you cannot close our church. And this is what was disconcerting, because I think that many times the churches could have remained open. Just organize it a little differently. Uh, There was no need to lock the doors. And uh, I think that hurt people terribly, terribly. Uh, And as I said, we haven't recovered from that. We have masses of people who are just not going to come back now. And not because they're angry or upset or anything like that. They lost interest. When the church cannot be the strong leader, you can't expect people just to automatically follow after the church falters. If the church falters, everyone falters with her.
1: What is your... um Hope for the church. It, the Maronite rites very interesting because they're, as far as I understand it, the only Eastern rite that never separated from Rome. So there is that sort of division, East and West. And I know it. It you know the the, but there's hope still. I mean, a lot of people think there's still hope for the coming back of the Orthodox to join more fully to the church and everything else. Um, I I would hope the Maronites have a role to play in that because of your historical distinction as the Eastern that never left. Um, Your thoughts on that, your hope for the future, not only in the Maronite right, but in in the church more generally.
0: Well, people seem to think that this whole idea of ecumenism uh, is going to work. That if we're just kind of nice and think about what we have similar rather than what divides us, it's going to work. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. And I know a lot of orthodox people and priests and clergy and all of that, and I'm very good friends with them, but I can honestly say they are not the least bit interested in union with Rome. Mm -hmm. That is a dream that the Western church has. It is not going to happen. And it's not going to happen now because we are going through such a trial. They are not going to come into a church that is in disruption and confusion and conflict. They have enough to deal with. They're not going to take on the problems of the Catholic Church. So I nothing's going to happen, uh, at least for a very, very, very long time to come.
1: Yeah. Wow. The... Um any final thoughts for us? Where, um, you know, where you, um, by being here, a great blessing to us, that I have to say. But uh, any final thoughts for us?
0: Well, as I said, this is a great help for me. Uh, it uplifts me spiritually and emotionally. And uh, I just think a conference like this benefits everyone. And for those clergy, uh, who think that this is just a group of crazy people, um, I would say, why don't you just kind of come and experience? See the type of people that are here. You may not be part of that mentality. Uh, You may not want that sort of thing. But you could never deny the sincerity of the people who pursue this type of, uh, of conference. And I think if more of the clergy were open to that, uh, their attitudes would change. But unfortunately, we're, you know, sometimes we have blinders on.
1: Indeed, indeed. Can I ask you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, give a blessing to
0: uh, all of our viewers? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. O Lord, hear our prayers. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost descend upon us now, always, and forever. Amen. Thank
1: you so very much. Thank you. God bless you.
0: Very good. You too.
1: And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time.